What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Thursday. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presenting by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and you. Ways to get in touch and involved with us. There are a plenty. Uh, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Also the phone lines can dial up at 5865. Also email chris at hailvarsity.com. And go ahead and uh, watch the show if you like. You can do so with ESPN Lincoln, Facebook, and Twitter. The Hail Varsity Radio Twitter handle at HVarsity Radio. That's where you catch coffee and cream with Damon and Andrew weekday mornings. And yes, YouTube, the Hail Varsity YouTube channel. All that uh, accessible for you. Find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. Uh, that's where you can get in touch with us. Okay, 20 minutes from now, Brandon Vogel will check in. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be a cabin in the woods new year, but same pretty cool classic football looking office. So I, I expect to see Vogues with that vaunted bookshelf behind him talking some big red ball with us in about 20 minutes in hour two. Gary Barnett, uh, Hall of Fame coach, will kick off the second hour. And uh, Mitch Sherman from The Athletic uh, next hour. Danny Burke with Vizen Sports Network lays, lays out the play-in for the playoff. A lot of teams, eight, in fact, vying for a few final spots. Uh, Elijah, great news. You heard it uh, possibly uh, with the Sports Center update, but uh, Davon Hamlin is is doing remarkably better. That's been a story that the nation's been following and watching all week long since Monday night, and uh, you just you just smile and pause for some of us uh, and many of us. Uh, the power of prayer first, but secondly, just the the, the work that the medical experts have been able to do and continue to do where Davon's able to able to at least write to his family family members hold hands with family members and this has been remarkable uh to to be able to follow and and provide some good news with yeah and you sit back and you go you're almost thankful it happened where it did and not that it happened but when it happened, you're almost thankful it happened on a football field because within 30 seconds of going down, he's being treated There's by some of the best of medical professionals you can have in that situation. And then they have an ambulance on site. They can get him to uh, start going to the hospital fashion. Say if this happened in your home, it's going to take the ambulance time to get there, time to figure out what's happening, time to get him in the ambulance. I mean, they were able to do that very quickly, get him to a, a level one trauma center, which mm-hmm. the fact that that's two miles from the stadium, uh, one of the best trauma centers in the country is phenomenal. And uh, the, some of the, the best doctors in the country, uh, definitely some of the best doctors in the area uh, doing work on DeMar Hamlin and, and 
just providing us some good news today, not only for him, but really for everyone that was watching. That was a scary moment uh, to see him down in the field and all those players crying and praying and mm-hmm. just terrifying scenes. The fact that it, it's ended with, or I shouldn't say ended, but the fact that we're seeing some good news a couple days removed uh, is just phenomenal, phenomenal news because you're sitting there at home looking at that screen, thinking the worst. Mm-hmm. And, and I guarantee everyone who's on that broadcast was thinking the same as well. And the fact that we're getting some good news only a couple days later is just incredible news. And it's a credit to the, the doctors and nurses that were working on, on uh, DeMar Hamlin through the past couple of days. Coach McDermott supposed to uh, weigh in with Buffalo. We may bring you uh, some of his comments before we are done. Some thoughtful takes from Zach Taylor yesterday at Cincinnati's uh, midweek press conference. And uh, so many Nebraska fans proud of Zach Taylor for what he's done uh, in the headset. They've always been proud of how he's carried himself and conducted himself uh, as a, a leader and, and coach and watching him climb up the ranks. And then to, to see Zach uh, be a part of this uh, is it makes uh, Nebraska fans very very proud, and, and the, the, the main news here, the main story is uh, with Hamlin and, and his recovery. Clearly still things to, um, to be cautious and worried about, but it's, it's looking uh, really, really good compared to, to what the, the onset and outlook was like. Tomorrow, Nebraska uh, coordinators will speak. We'll be there for that, have reaction to it, but uh, you have offensive coordinator – uh, Saffield and, and of course, uh, Coach White both will be uh, front and center at Memorial Stadium tomorrow. Excited about that. As we fast forward to some Nebraska football, we'll get into some portal visitors momentarily. But talked with Evan Bland yesterday, his story out today on uh, Josh Fleeks, the, the transfer from Baylor. And Fleeks, a guy that was a wide out, was a running back, and uh, has been through a lot uh, with his college football career when it comes to different position coaches, schemes, uh, dealing with injuries. But this is another example of of relationship, not just building, but impression, right? Uh, think about Matt Rule that, that has wowed many nationally and locally uh, is the fact that, that he did what he did as quickly as he did on the recruiting trail. Uh, he did so uh, in a fascinating uh, form to to close like he did uh, with the high school uh, faction, right? He, he did well uh, in this early signing period. Uh, step back, Elijah, and there are folks that either committed originally to play for, for rule and it's been all sorts of wacky with guys getting extra years, guys are coming back to rule. Maybe you're an assistant coach. Maybe you're a former assistant. Maybe you've been on staff with Matt Rule on the coaching side of things. But uh, Fleek's another example of a guy that wants to play for rule. He wants to be uh, a bit of a peer voice for the rest of the Nebraska locker room and Set those rule rules, those expectations. Here's what you're going to get with Coach Rule. Uh, here's what to expect. 
and uh, this is how the, the culture will be built. And it reminds me very much of a transfer that Scott Frost had his first year at Nebraska and Trey Neal. Trey was nice. He was I, big. I mean, it's, it, it seems to me like a, almost exactly the same situation where Trey Neal was in a situation where, you know what, he probably wasn't going to get that much play time the next season at UCF. Um, but he's a guy that had been in Scott Frost's system for a couple of years, knew what Scott Frost wanted, and and uh, Scott brought in Trey Neal. And look at Trey Neal. He comes and is uh, Nebraska's starting safety, really sets the tone for that secondary, and I think got that secondary jump started faster than some of the other position groups on that team. Uh, and I see the same with, with Fleeks in that, you know what, he may not be an otherworldly talent you're bringing in the transfer portal, but he's going to be valuable in his own right in that he's going to know the culture, he's going to know what Matt Rule wants, he's going to be a peer leader, almost a another coach within the team in saying – Guys, this is what Matt Rule wants. This is how you're going to see the field. This is the work ethic that's required. This is what you guys need to do in the classroom. That's what you guys need to do at home. This is what you guys need to do once you get into the facility. There's all these things that he's going to be a leader in. And even if he doesn't get a snap next season, which I don't think is going to be the case. I think if you're pretty wide open. I, that's what I'm saying. It's pretty wide open. If you're that kind of guy, that kind of leader, I think you're going to differentiate yourself in some ways in the practice field, even if your athletic ability isn't that of, of some of your peers. You're going to find a way onto the football field in some way, shape, or form. And I think that in of itself is very valuable that there's going to be a guy that can come in and say you know what these are rules rules I like that I mean, maybe it's a show title for today rules rules <laughs> um, but these are rules rules and this is what you got to follow if you want to see the field here and I know the the last staff didn't do it this way but this is how we're going to do it and it, it, it's different when it comes from a peer as opposed to a right. coach. no absolutely and that's that's you can get uh, the same message but but how is the message being delivered and who's telling you the message uh, a new guy that's coming in. We, we've made a lot about Dion's initial press conference and footage uh, in that, that buff meeting room. Saying we're not going to have any hats while he's wearing a hat? <laughs> not just that, but I'm telling. I mean, Dion was, just went short of hol- holding the door open for people to leave, okay? <laughs> I mean, that that's the feel by so many. If If you have a guy here like Fleeks come in and say, all right, I, I know you as a – Nebraska player have been through a ton. You may be a Scott Frost guy. Rule's been very open about saying, well, you're my guy now. Uh, I chose to come coach you, paraphrasing a little bit from his press conference. But with, with, uh, the the impact of a guy like Fleeks will not be lost, and it will help bring things together for a better 2023 We spent time talking about expectations yesterday. Well, you need a guy like Fleeks his message, and the trust part peer-to-peer, maybe to get some of that buy-in that could be uh, or there could be a little resistance too. Well, think about the messaging. There's been a lot made on, on social media over the past couple of days of some of rules, rules, and no hats in the team facility, no jewelry in the team facility, stuff like that. And it it's completely different whenever you hear that message from a coach, some 45-year-old man who knows nothing about your life coming in saying, hey, you can't wear that hat in the facility. As opposed that to- earring is a little too blingy, Elijah. I can't have it. Exactly. And it, it, it sounds completely different when you hear it coming from a 23-year-old guy who's in his fifth year of college football and says, no, there's... There's reason behind these rules. Uh, and that you hear that, no hats, no jewelry, you go, that's kind of crazy. It's 2022. That's kind of the way society is moving. But you think about it in another sense, and that football's a sport, and a lot of sports are this way, but football might be the prime example of a sport where you need to put team before self and put your yeah. individual individuality to the message, side. right? Are you willing to, to say, sure, okay, I'm going to take my chain off, my earring out, 
and uh, leave my hat on the hat rack. To be a part of the team. That, that, that's the, the crucial read in between the line scene there is the whole team is going to be doing this. It's a, almost team bonding. That Yeah, no, you probably don't want to take a shower and, and do your hair before you come to the team facility at 5 a.m., but the rest of the team is going through it. And that's a perfect representation for football because you have to put your individual wants and, and desires aside when you're playing football and say, you know what, I'm a part of a team. I'm a cornerback. I'm going to go lay my body on the line and take on this offensive lineman pulling around the outside. I'm going to take on that block and let one of my teammates come in and clean up the play because I'm going to be doing the dirty work. I'm going to be doing the thing I don't necessarily want to do to put the team ahead of myself and put winning ahead of myself. And it's the same sense with, with jewelry and with hats. You know what? You want to be an individual. You want to be walking on the team facility and have the lady go wow he's looking fresh today you know but you got to put that aside and say i've got to put the team above myself we're going to go through this together that's going to suck it's minor are you you willing are you willing to to put the team ahead of yourself in order to have team success as a whole it's a perfect representation for football and i mean it's similar to what you see in the military Mm -hmm. a very military type training there where we're going to crush the individuality make the team above all else and you're going to care about that guy to your left and right more than you care about yourself it's the same situation with football let's talk portal as uh, three portal visitors this weekend you have walter rouse stanford left tackle and uh, you know whenever i see or think of offensive lines i know stanford's been a program that's been down i know coach shaw stepped away this year but man stanford had it rolling uh, every april nfl draft you would see uh, through the first three rounds a handful of stanford players come out and they were for a time a preeminent offensive line what, what does nebraska need they need options and some stability at the tackle spot, uh, Walter Rouse, 39-game starter, one year of eligibility left, uh, an honorable mention, all-pack 12 guy. Oh, and by the way, he's a bio, biomechanical engineer. Well, this past year, he was a finalist for the William V. Campbell Trophy. I had to look this up before the show. It's a uh, a trophy awarded uh, by academic the Heisman. National Football Foundation to the American College Football Player with the best combination of academics, off-the-field service, and on-field performance. Yep, that's uh, big. We'll see how things shake out for Nebraska and Rouse because yes, please, I think is the response from Nebraska football fans. You want to see Ben Hart reach his potential. You want to see Teddy Prohaska stay healthy and be a a cornerstone on that uh, offensive line. You have guys uh, like Turner Corcoran that have played tackle. You have some options. You have Hunter Anthony that still has a year, but it never hurts to have more options and, and find your best five with some, some depth as well. And Rouse could be one of those guys. Uh, Baylor left guard. This is Micah M- Mazuka, uh, and he has uh, quite a few number starts under his belt as well. Uh, that is uh, a guy that is from the Philadelphia region that ended up in Baylor. And, and now transferring and has a chance to maybe look and be a, another guard option for Nebraska uh, for Coach Rule. So I, I like both of these names and their their history coming in. But I, I want to note with these two guys, and you know I'm an offensive line guy, Schmidt. I look at both these guys. I don't think either of these guys, and I know Rouse is a four-year starter at Stanford. That in of itself is special. But neither of these guys stepping in to me are instant starters. 
You got to win it. Ben Scott, I think, is a guy down from Arizona State. He's most likely going to be an instant starter at center next season. Neither of these two guys are going to be instant starters. Rouse is a guy that, I mean, came in acclaimed as a freshman. He was on the freshman All-American team, according to The Athletic, but he never quite put it all together. He's a guy that's, you know, looking for the right landing spot in order to get himself one year. That's all the eligibility has left. One year to find himself a, a, a starting role and to go prove to NFL teams, you know what, I can make it. Because he's been a guy that's, He's been on preseason all Pac-12 teams, but he's never quite took Donald that final Manchin stride. versus second team. Yes, he's never quite made that final stride of being an actual dude on the offensive line. He's been a solid starter where he's been at Stanford. Stanford's been down, so take that into account. But he's been a solid starter, but he's not head and shoulders above the, the what Nebraska has in their offensive line right now. And, and Mazuka's the same way in that not head and shoulders but what, above what Nebraska had. He's been a, a serviceable starter at Baylor. Both these guys, serviceable starters where they've been. Can they find the right coaching? Can they find the right fit? Maybe, but neither of these guys are going to be, you know what, they're the dude right away as soon as they step foot on campus. Again, it comes down to options. It comes down to depth. And it should be noted those instant starters, are, they're hard to find in the transfer portal. Big time, they are. But to, to get them on campus is key. At least have the option. And, yeah, realize your potential. Uh, why the, the why part of this, why do you transfer? Well, if you're uh, leaving Stanford with coaching transition, uh, Rouse wants to win. Mm-hmm. And... You know, Nebraska may be, uh, I don't know if they're in a better spot than Stanford, but not that different. Uh, Brandon Vogel's on the way. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity, presented by Currency. Great to be with you on a Thursday. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, we welcome in for the first time in 2023, Brandon L. Vogel at uh, Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. It's where you find a managing editor with Hale Varsity Magazine, HaleVarsity.com, and his book with John Cook, Dream like a champion. If you want to watch Vogue's in this interview, a few ways to do it, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel and the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter handle at HVarsity Radio. We always reference Vogue's phenomenal backdrop with the football office. Vogue's good to spend time with you. How are you? How are you guys doing? Happy New Year. Yeah, we're, we're good. We're good. Um, <sighs> Portal. Let's go there. Let's start. And uh, we just ended with uh, three of the names Nebraska looking at uh, this weekend with uh, Rouse. Uh, you have Mazuka and then uh, Kemp, the, the wide receiver. Where are you at uh, as you, you look at this opportunity? Do you like portal options on the offensive line? Do you expect it to work uh, if you're Nebraska or Pick a pick a college football team. How how heavily do you want to rely on that? Um, uh, on the offensive line, I like them quite a bit. Um, those are traditionally well, not traditionally because the portal's still new enough that I think we're we're still finding our way with this. But so far, what we've seen from the portal is those experienced offensive linemen are kind of the hottest commodity. I think 
when you you look at the portal itself. You're going to be able to get quarterbacks. You're going to be able to get wide receivers, um, running backs, maybe some defensive backs. The the offensive linemen who have played and can bring that experience. I mean, the O-line stands out on a football team as maybe the most developmental spot on, on the team, I think. Like, you just look at it and say, you know, we might expect some players to come in and, and play as true freshmen at running back or wide receiver. We've even seen it at quarterback more and more frequently. It's still tough to do on the offensive line. So if you can find some people with some experience there, uh, the, the competition is always going to be pretty stiff for those guys. But, uh, you know, Nebraska landed one already from Arizona State that I expect to help at center. Uh, Mizuka is, is a guy who is an Under Armour All-American. Uh, still pretty early in his Baylor career, relatively speaking. Um, Rouse from, from Stanford. Uh, now, Stanford hasn't been what it was at the height of the David Shaw era, but Personally, I still feel pretty good about the level of training and O-line is getting there. That's still a program I associate with excellent O-line play. 39 games uh, he's played there. And then you move to Billy Kemp, who's who's intriguing. Uh, sort of a slot guy. I think he's listed at 5'9". Uh, do a little bit of everything. I think early in his career, he was listed as a running back, technically, but led the team in receptions, I think, three seasons ago, was really close last year, and then this year dealt with some injury and missed a couple of games. But uh, anytime you can add that sort of experience, uh, I think it gives you a little bit of a leg up, particularly for a new coach at a, at a new spot. Brandon Vogel's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, Brandon, there's been a lot made this offseason. I've seen it a couple times now. Well, there's as many defensive backs as Nebraska as there are offensive linemen, and, and that's been a problem for a couple years now, just how thin some of the offensive lines have been in recent years. Now, I want to get your take on Nebraska adding offensive linemen to the transfer portal. Should they be adding just for the sake of getting more numbers because of how physical the Big Ten is? You know, you're going to have injuries along the offensive line, and you need some depth, or should they be choosing who they want to bring into this offensive line knowing, you know what, we need instant starters. We need guys who are going to come in and, and make a difference immediately yeah really good question i think the numbers dictate that you could sort of open up your pool a little bit because they do need in my opinion to to add some depth there um but it it goes it comes down to for me those those old linemen like they, they become such a prized commodity in in the transfer portal if they've played you know a good amount of games that Everyone who who has a need on the offensive line, even some schools that may not, um, are going to be in on a guy. I mean, Michigan won the Moore Award as a uh, as the top offensive line in the country for the second straight year with a, with a transfer as a key part of that. Uh, Vanderbilt transfer went to uh, went to Alabama and basically started all season. So it's it's a, it's an experience or it's a position where you really can't shortcut experience. So I think as we continue to go on, all of those guys are going to be really – there's going to be a ton of competition for them. Nebraska could can even land one of the guys that, that is expected to be in town this weekend. We, we know Mazuka already is. Um, that, that's, that's a big get for me. It gives you some options up there. And when you look at the lack of numbers, uh, that's the biggest thing. It's like you don't have a ton of options if, if things happen, if guys go down for, for a variety of reasons. And we saw that play out this year for the Huskers. Brandon Vogel spending a few minutes with us here, Hale Varsity Radio. Vogues, uh, let's talk the defensive side of the ball for Nebraska. And 
uh, we were we were off with Garrett Nelson's announcement, and Nebraska's having to revamp a bit. You have some of the NIL deals secured to, to keep names like Robinson and uh, Reimer, and and that's that's big time uh, for Nebraska, and also uh, some of the the secondary options. Uh, I want to get your take though defensively with the, the the facelift part of it here. Three three five. We'll hear from Coach White tomorrow, but what? What does Nebraska need most from whatever the defense looks like next year? Uh, what What is going to be the biggest um, point of emphasis if you're white, looking at the personnel you're going to have, and then obviously uh, translating it to success on the field? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of that is still to be kind of maybe penciled out. It'll be interesting to hear from Coach White tomorrow. Uh, I think we'll get a little bit more insight on that. But you just look at losing Nelson and Mathis to the NFL draft. Um, It's a little different in the 3-4 with what that edge rusher ends up being versus, you know, theoretically running a 3-3-5, even though Rule has said there's, you know, they haven't settled on that's going to be their their base set. Um, So I think one of those, a kind of classic edge rusher, which again, pretty similar to offensive line, it's always going to be a competitive spot if you're looking towards the transfer portal to do that. Um, I think there's, there's room there. You'd feel good about Nebraska in the middle uh, at the second level with, with uh, the, the linebackers returning in the secondary, no shortage of, of options there and pretty good options too, I think. Uh, so, so I look at Nebraska kind of, if there's room to add, um, or needs, uh, on the defensive side, you're probably looking at that edge rusher. And I think you might take, you know, another defensive lineman if you had one, cause those are, that's a spot like the offensive line where you almost can't have too much depth. And if you've got guys, you can feel great about rotating in and not missing a beat. That's when things really start to sink. Well, Nebraska's done well with some edge rusher acquisition here right before signing day. I know a name that's floating out there, guys, is is Gene Baptiste from Ohio State. Uh, He's in the portal, four and a half sacks. You're good enough to go play for for Coach Larry at Ohio State. Well, it's the guy Nebraska had in the boat until he didn't as well. Sure. I mean, again, we see this kind of coming back around uh, with with rule and, and past relationships, but also uh, Nebraska can tap into somebody that, that maybe they just didn't close on previously. Yeah, they, they they've absolutely got a chance there. And you know, that would be that would be coming full circle from from such a unique story with going into that signing day, you know, Jean Baptiste was was somebody I think most people kind of counted in, in Nebraska's class. There's a snow day, there's no school, you know, all, all of that weird stuff. And and you know it's it's tough to to kind of stand out as a singular player at Ohio State. They're just supremely talented. Uh, but a guy who played a ton and, and certainly made an impact. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Nebraska is able to to revive that. You know, him just being familiar with the program, with Lincoln itself, I think helps. Um, but that, that would be a pretty big addition, in, in my view, uh, if the Huskers were able to add him. Brandon Vogel is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Brandon, got one more thought on the defense here for you. You mentioned the fact that you think that Nebraska looks pretty good at the second level at those linebacker spots. And I, I tend to agree with you because I think Luke Reimer is a guy, upon watching some 3-3-5 defenses operate against Big Ten teams over the weekend, that he fits there well. I think Isaac Gifford fits in that role as well. But I look at Nick Henrich. 
And I think the jury's still out on if Nick Henrich is going to fit into a 3-3-5 defense simply for the fact that whenever I watched the games this weekend, those linebackers had to be very multiple, just as good stopping the run as they were, you know, flowing side to side and going covering tight ends, covering slot wide receivers. And I don't think that's been his game here at Nebraska. So do you think that's a fit? And I ask that because we mentioned the fact that Tony White's probably going to have to amend this defense slightly for the Big Ten, and I wonder if they're going to find a role for him, or if that's a guy that, you know what, you might need an upgrade there just to try to fit what a traditional three-three-five defense looks like. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a really uh, fair and astute question because I would agree with you, you know, that that's one where if Nebraska's, you know, throwing out three traditional linebackers, um, Luke Reimer's kind of been a tackling machine. You know, I would start with him at, at kind of number one in that middle spot. He's also displayed the, the versatility a little bit that maybe he could shift to to one of those outside spots, and that that opens up a little bit of room for for Nick Henrich. But I I, I would agree. I, I mean, you're you're going to need more often than not. You know, you're going to get into your two deep at linebacker in the Big Ten. It's just that kind of league. So I think there will be a spot for 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 Nick looking at it as we used to with kind of a more traditional three four. Um, I, I don't know that, that you slot that in and say like, well, he bumps outside because there are some questions there. He, he's more of a prototypical, I think, middle linebacker than than maybe anybody has Nebraska has on the roster at the moment. I'm excited for for Wright and and Giff and and their athleticism and versatility in this defense under Coach White. Vogues, less than 60 seconds. What's coming up from you and Hale Varsity here before we say goodbye? Yeah, hard at work on the the January issue, which, you know, is about 10 days out from uh, being off to the printer. Have a good story from from Brady Oltman's there on sort of Nebraska recruiting and how it's turned over a little bit of every rock. Uh, I'm currently working on something, looking at kind of the track connections with this staff in its past and already here here at Nebraska. So that'll all be in the January issue. Uh, make sure to go to hailvarsity.com slash subscribe if you aren't already. Make sure you get that. We got plenty plenty of basketball. Uh, Saturday is kind of an interesting day for, for both men and women in terms of looking at games that you look you play the schedule out. Uh, could end up being pretty important for both of them. Uh, I think they're games they need to win. So we'll be watching those closely over the weekend. Vogues will have his nachos in front of him as he watches intently some Husker basketball this weekend. Vogues, you take care. Thanks for jumping on with us, bud. Thanks a lot, guys. There he is, Brandon Vogel with us. Uh, quick timeout back with more after this. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me, try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. 20 minutes away, we'll hear from Gary Barnett, also Mitch Sherman. Big thanks to Brandon Vogel. And a reminder to get uh, your subscription to Hail Varsity Magazine, hailvarsity.com backslash offer. I have got that handled finally after four weeks of trading. Offer, backslash offer to take advantage. I've been sitting in here at the studio with a squirt bottle just ready for somebody to mess up. Let's be honest, it's a shock collar, but it's not around my neck. It's uh, 
kind of more so around the uh, the belly button region, and Elijah's just <laughs> hammering that to make sure I go, hailbarcity.com backslash offer. Podcast is where you can get caught up with us on your time, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, uh, and uh, the full show or different segments and interviews available there as well, and the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. You want to watch us, go for it. So uh, on three reporting that uh, Kenny Wilhite no longer part of the Nebraska football staff. Uh, I'm looking at Huskers.com right now and going through uh, who's listed and who is not. I still see Ron Brown listed on staff. And there's a fine line. And, and you have backlash by some in the fan base when it comes to former Huskers and there's always going to be transition. And again, Elijah, that fine line of retention and, and then bringing in your own guys. And uh, you just got to do what's best for you as the head coach and how you want to build and move on as a program. But as a, a guy who's covered the program for a long time, uh, I look at Kenny Wilhite, and, and this goes back to, to me growing up here just as a kid that would go to West Stadium with my family. And one of my favorite players ever, old number 19, was, was Kenny Wilhite, uh, defensive back. And he's uh, not only was a tremendous player, but how about the, the work that, that Kenny Wilhite has done in Lincoln for a, a long time? He uh, originally joined Nebraska staff in 2014 as a regional recruiting assistant, elevated to assistant director of player personnel, and then Associate Director of Player Personnel in, in 2015. Uh, has done a lot of work, a Director of High School Relations, uh, has had that title the last seven years. And uh, Kenny did a, a great job of running the, the walk-on recruiting and also helping kind of bridge that gap between pro day scouts and some of the, the potential players. So uh, Kenny Wilhite not retained with staff, and I know there's a lot of former Huskers that probably aren't happy about this, and then there's some Nebraska fans that aren't happy with it either, and that's the tightrope you got to walk. Well, and it's, it's kind of what we were talking about in the first segment of Matt Rules bringing in his way of doing things here at Nebraska. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's his way or the highway. That is kind of the, the, as the old saying goes, but he's going to bring in his ways, and, and we've seen through his first recruiting period is he wants to do recruiting his way. And I'm not saying that Kenny Wilhite was unwilling to do that, but I'm just saying – Matt Rule wants his guys recruiting the type of players that he wants, and he's got guys that he trusts to go out there and evaluate talent, uh, specifically at high schools around Nebraska, specifically for walk-ons, what type of guys he's looking for there. And he's I'm just sure going to go with the guy he, he trusts more in that situation than a guy he's just recently begun working with and a guy he's just recently you know met and is trying to figure out more about. You're going to go with the guy that you trust more, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think... We can look at what Kenny Wallet did and say he did a bad job at Nebraska. There's no, been a, cu- a couple a walk-ons job. that have done a, that have done a great job coming in and filling roles for Nebraska since Kenny Wilhite has taken over that role as uh, the director of that and the director of high school relations. So it's it's not a Kenny Wilhite's being like oh because he didn't do a good enough job. It's just you know what there's a new staff and that's a reality in college football. Is the new staff and the new head coach is going to bring in guys that he trusts to do the roles that he thinks are important. And let's be honest, 
the walk-on talent in Nebraska is pretty important, not only to what this Husker football team is, but what the tradition of Nebraska is. And Matt Rule knows that. Matt Rule understands that. And he wants to bring a walk-on tradition, I am sure, with him to the University of Nebraska. And he's going to just put a guy that he trusts into that role. I don't think there's anything deeper you should read into it. It's familiarity. Yeah. And, and Rule has done nothing if not followed through with familiarity every stop he's been. What did his Carolina roster have? It had former Rule guys. Temple. Baylor. He's going to go get guys that know how he wants things done versus spending time and energy uh, trying to, to hope it fits mm-hmm. and a guy can learn without a much of a learning curve. And Kenny Wilhite's going to be fine. Kenny Wilhite's going to go land somewhere and be great again and uh, I mean, wish he, him well. He has experience in his background coaching, actually being an on-the-field coach. He now has got I believe it's six years of experience here running the the walk-on program and being the director of high school relations. So he's got more of a recruiting background now than he did whenever he came to Nebraska. He did well in that role. And you know what? You were a staffer at a, a major Power 5 football program. Somebody's going to give you a look somewhere. And considering Kenny Wilhite's also previous background playing football at a high level, very high level, he's going to land on his feet somewhere. And I wonder even if with this holdover with how long Kenny Wilhite's been around, if it was a handshake deal with Matt Rule and Kenny Wilhite saying, hey, I need somebody who has built relationships with these people for my first recruiting class. I'd love it if you could stick around through the early signing period and then you can go be on your own and, and, and find, find a new, new role. Spot. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it was a case like that. And I don't have any inside information, but you got to look at the timing like that and say, why wasn't Kenny Wilhite let go with the other coaches that were let go three weeks ago? No, it, it's it's it, Kenny's going to do the program a solid, mm-hmm. and I think he hit something important there. And, and honestly, we've spent a lot of time on retention with Nebraska, right? And do you have guys in the program that you can develop? You're going to miss on recruits. It's going to happen. You're going to miss on four stars. You're going to miss on three stars. And then you're going to get some make goods. Think about the Brandon Rileys and the Janoviches of the world, the Sam Foltzes of the world that, oh, that guy was a walk-on? Uh, Spencer Long? Oh, that guy was a walk-on? That that has to get back to happening not the misses per se, but finding a guy that's a walk-on that's really damn good that, oh, maybe we should have got him a scholarship or we're really lucky he um, he decided to walk on because he's one of our better players. You have to have that. That's been Nebraska's advantage, Wisconsin's advantage for years where you find a guy that's an eraser. You make a mistake on a profile or an assessment in the recruiting world, you just burn a, a scholarship on somebody that never contributes. How do you how do you fix that? Well, you you fix that by finding a guy that is a walk on that gets elevated to more than just snaps. Maybe he turns out to be a an All American like Jared Thomas. Those are crazy examples. No, those are few and far between. But of best case scenarios, but for this for the for the most part here, you're going to need to be able to 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 kill it again with your walk on assessment. Yeah, you'll occasionally get those. Those guys, but I mean, the Luke Rymers of the world, if you look at it now, the guys that walked on, you go, that guy should have never been a walk-on. But then you're also going to have the guys that, you know what, they're going to step in whenever somebody else goes down and smooth out some of your recruiting misses where, you know what, we don't have a good backup tight end because we missed on a guy recruiting. He hit the transfer portal after year one. Now we don't have anybody there. And, oh, no, our starting tight end's gone down. And I'm looking at you, Nate Borkature. He mm-hmm. came in, Thank and you, you know what, he filled big shoes this year as a former walk-on. But he came in, he improved as the year went on, and he did admirably considering the space he was thrown into. That's what I look at with the walk-on program. Guys that can fix some of those recruiting misses. And you know what? Worst case scenario, breaking case of emergency, you can step in for a game or two and not 
not notice much drop off before your starter comes back. That's where the walk on program is so important. Uh, we hit on portal and thoughts with positions of need. You need some more edge help. You're in need offensive line help. Nebraska's trying to address that this weekend with some of their visitors. Also, the tight end room. Not that it's not good, but it's young, right? Uh, Jack Roberts, a name to be looking for out of North Texas. We'll wind down hour one. It's Hale Varsity Radio. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour, Gary Barnett met Mitch Sherman, Danny Burke next hour. Get buckled up. Seatbelts save lives, prevents injuries. Only if properly worn, buckle up. A message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. We're presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. So, Elijah, I got to ask you this, and I've been thinking about it. Told you a little bit about it. Uh, We're going to go to food here in a moment, and it ties into tailgating for the the national championship. And I think uh, all the the folks, the good folks from TCU, that are going to find their way to to SoFi Field. Uh, I think of uh, Georgia and all the times that you see uh, different uh, things thrown on the grill around Big Ten country, around the SEC, and there's some really talented folks. That, that fire up a grill and get their tailgate going. No RVs are allowed. No tailgating in, is no, allowed. No tailgating. And and I'm, I just, we're, we're all a little skeptical of Cousin Eddie showing up and, and messing things up with the old RV, but that's a staple. This is a national title game Monday, and you have an RV ban, a tailgating ban at SoFi. Uh, this should disqualify L.A. from ever again having any national championships. As cool as the stadium is and how cool the setup looks, I think it's a phenomenal facility. You can't shut down tailgating an RV in. Well, here's the thing. I think the, the fans of both teams, both uh, Georgia and TCU, they are tailgate expert anyway. tailgaters. Go tailgate anyway and make them stop everybody. Are they going to stop <laughs> 80,000 fans from tailgating the parking lot? No. If there's that one group that that just decides to disobey and they decide to tailgate, yeah, they'll shut that down. But if there's tens and tens and tens, we're talking hundreds of different groups of tailgaters out there in the parking lot, they can't shut everybody down. That's that's where I'm coming from here. But I agree with you that it's wrong that strengthen they don't strengthen tailgate numbers. Well, it's like you know what? If everyone's going, come get me. If everyone's going 90 on the interstate, the cops not pulling anybody over. If you got a whole group of 15 cars going 90 on the interstate, what's that cop going to do? They're not pulling them over because they go, I can't stop everybody. It's the well, same with the tailgaters. It, it, it's the reality. If you're the first in that line of 90, some of us have been. Uh, or last. <laughs> <laughs> then, then you're going to get popped. Uh, Mark chimes in. Who else is supposed to be visiting? Uh, and and the, the three that we're hearing is is Rouse this weekend on the offensive line, Mazuka, and then Kemp. Uh, Mark, those are the three names. Uh, Kemp out of, out of Virginia. But I was, I was thinking about the tailgating. Do you know anybody that's got a, a whiskey marinade recipe? And I ask this because the best steak I've ever had in my life, I had over break with my buddy Dickerson. And it was, and I'm a, I'm a steak connoisseur. I love it. I love cooking it at home, but I love going to different places around Nebraska and having a steak, right? The old Pepsi challenge. This place I went to uh, last weekend does a, a whiskey soak. Is that up in Omaha? Yes. Okay, we're not going to name the place. I know which place you're talking uh, and, about. And, and, and I, I they haven't paid for advertising. No, so. exactly. I <laughs> named the place, but it's it was it was awesome. 
It was awesome. And I was like, how do I do this at home? How do I replicate? There's like the secret recipes of a few spots, be it a wing spot in town here. How do they do it so well where you just love to go back? Uh, the whiskey marinade, because it was a unique taste, and it, it was incredible. Was it a marinade or was it a wet age? That's my question. No, I, 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 think it was, I think it was... I think it was marinade. Okay. Like it was, it was, it was, yeah, it, it was, was marinated and thrown in the fridge, and then boom. The marinade, I'd, I'd expect to be more of like an overnight thing. Whereas a, a wet age, you're gonna put it in like the what is the, the cheesecloth or the aging cloth and soak yeah. that in whiskey. So there's a difference there. I'll, I'll do some research for you. Please do. do. Uh, I should have asked Vogel about it. He might have one in his back pocket. Coach Barnett's on the way. Hour two with Hale Varsity. Hello, listener. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price. That means that you can get everything we do. Ten issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's HailVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back into it, a tale of varsity radio presented by Currency. Some college football thoughts as we gear up for the national title game. Gary Barnett with this Hall of Fame coach. Coach, happy 2023. How you doing? Doing well, Chris. I, I managed to avoid all the travel issues and the cold weather and uh, just sort of hang out down here in Arizona and uh, watch maybe the best bowl season I've ever seen. It, it really was sensational. I mean, it seemed like from the very first game to the last game, it was just unbelievable. I mean, you finish off, you know, not necessarily with Penn State, Utah, but you finish off with SC and Tulane the way you did. Oh my gosh, just great football. It was. And I I look at Kansas's comeback for overtime during this bowl season and how that happened. I look at Texas Tech's finish. You're right about uh, USC Tulane. Some of us did did not get down to Arizona to see you. Even the, the semis coach, with TCU's ability to hang on and Michigan's late charge, and then how about Ohio State getting outscored like they did in the fourth quarter by Georgia? Just high-level ball. When you look at these situations as a coach, do you console your guys if you don't hold a lead, or do you uh, look at it and say, man, what what a comeback we had. We can take that with uh, us the rest of our lives. I mean, there's two sides of that coin. Yeah, you probably do a little bit of both. I mean, you when you get to that level, you, uh, at that you know, in a playoff game like that, and you play your hearts out. You know it's not going to be a perfect game. You know that there's going to be breaks that are going to be go go your way, and breaks that are going to go the other way. And that's why the game is as great as it is, is because you just never know. And you get to that level, and I think those are two of the best 
two uh, playoff games we've seen in a long time. But but man, gosh, if if you can't get excited about college football watching those two games, then you you need to check your pulse. But they were great. I mean, Ohio State, I felt for that kicker, mm. you know, and Ryan Day, and you know you. But you also Georgia stops them right where they had to stop them, and you know Georgia's defense finally came to play in the fourth quarter. But man, it took them a while to get caught up, and it just. You're you're playing with young people, and you know both sides are well coached, and both of them are trained, and both of them know what's going on, and then you got to go play it. And uh, you know a lot of it depends on breaks, but and you realize how fragile that is when you're coaching all the time. You know anybody can do anything anytime, and you train your kids that way. And you you know I mean you talk about that all the time. You you know it's not all their fault. Some of it's the other guys. <laughs> was playing better than you were that time or that play. So that's the way it goes. Gary Barnett with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, as we look at needing 40 to 45 points in these bowl games to win it, what do you say to your defensive coordinators out there? Just do the best you can, dudes. You know, <laughs> understand that any stop, any stop's a good stop. And so uh, forcing a field goal, uh, becomes really important. And, you know, we didn't have a great year of scoring, I didn't think, throughout the year. I had to see the stats. But but uh, I thought we had, a, at least at the NFL level, we had a lot more defense being played than offense. And mm-hmm. colleges, maybe not so much. But uh, you get to those two games, and you you got high-powered offenses operating. And, um, you know, your defense may be good, but, but the other side of the ball might be even better. So it, this is what you get. But you do. You just Every stop becomes critical. And, and that's why you fight for every yard. You fight for every measurement. And, um, you know, it's, it's, that's the drama of the whole doggone thing. Coach, want to get your thoughts on, on Max Duggan. Uh, had a chance to see him in high school just a, across the river in Council Bluffs from Omaha. And uh, he has persevered. He's a coach's kid. There's so much pride in him, not only in the Bluffs region, but also in Omaha. What, what, is, what is his task Monday night against this Georgia defense? What, what is the, the recipe TCU and Coach Sonny need to follow? They don't need to change much. They just need to do what they've done all year. They've it's in their DNA now to get as far behind as they'll let you, and they can come <laughs> back, and they know that. you know. And they played that. When you do that seven times during the year, it's, it becomes who you are. And so that's, that's a great confidence factor, that that. You don't uh, get to the third quarter and, and be and you're losing and you, and you can't find your way out of it. This, this team goes right down to the last play of the game and they know it. And and that's really valuable that your kids understand that your players understand that this will go or can go to the last play of the game. You must fight 70 plays both sides of the ball. And uh, Georgia had a surprise. They, you know, Georgia had to come back. They've only come back one other time during the year, and that was against Missouri. And uh, you know, they they got a little taste of that. So you could find two teams in this in this uh, uh, championship game that both are going to play right down to the last play of the game. You think it's going to be a close ball game, or do you think Georgia's got too much? Well, I mean. Twelve and a half points is a lot of points uh, for a championship game. I mean, it's it's pretty much a, it is a lack of respect for TCU and for the Big Twelve, I think. But 
Um, TCU just beat maybe the best team in the country. So uh, before that game, have been a, everybody would have figured it might be it's going to be Michigan or Georgia that Michigan was playing at the highest level. Well, guess what? TCU played at a higher level than that. Georgia didn't. So, you know, is Georgia going to come out and play like they did last week? Are they going to come out and play like they have most of the year? Well, if TCU plays like they have most of the year, they're going to win the game because that's who they are. So, I don't know. I, I, I would take the points and mm-hmm. watch the game and, and see what happens. But uh, I, I think it you never know. You hope these are great games for the sake of the sport. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And it comes down to injuries, you know. Um, I mean, Ohio State, that game came down to Harrison getting hurt. Yeah. If he doesn't get hurt, Ohio State probably wins that game. But he got hurt. And those things you can't – there's no way you can plan around those. Did Did Michigan try and get too cute on offense? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, you, you do things for a reason, and the reasons are, are good, solid, and um, – and if you decide to go that way with, with a little more razzle-dazzle than you normally have, then, you know, you either live with it or die with it. But it's a, 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 you make it – you don't sit there and go, let's make some really stupid decisions in this game. No, that's not what intentional. Do you think? <laughs> who, get, who gets to do the first one? Uh, well, I will, Coach. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's uh, – I don't know if they got too cute, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they were playing a good football team. I think they were surprised to see TCU as good as they were. That's where I want to go. TCU, are they just built a little different than a lot of the Big 12? They seem uh, really blue-collar, but they're I think they're super physical. I mean, they, they tackle well, and then they've got explosiveness as well. Well, you, you got to understand, that team is built by Gary Patterson, and Gary Patterson is one tough-minded, hard-nosed dude. And uh, Sonny just brought an offense to him, and uh, a couple of players through the portal uh, to fill in the holes that TCU had before, when they let Gary Patterson go. So this is a combination of, of Sonny's organization and Sonny's offense and the TCU uh, tough-mindedness that Gary Patterson created. Coach, let's talk Jim Harbaugh. And do you think he's fishing, or do you think he really wants to head off to the NFL? I think he wants to head off to the NFL. Um, I, I was good friends with Rich Rodriguez back when he was at West Virginia, and he went and almost took the job at Alabama and then came back. They built him a new weight room, and then he almost took the job somewhere else and came back because they built him a new academic center. And then he was toying with Michigan, and he came back, and they said, nah, go to Michigan. We've had enough of this. Mm-hmm. And so you got to be careful what you wish for. But – I think any college coach in his right mind is going to look at the NFL right now because let me, you, it's so hard to do what they have to do in college right now. The roster manage, you have to have such a staff, you, the NIL out of control. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. And you can't just be a ball coach. And Jim's a ball coach. He doesn't like all this other stuff, and most of us don't. And he's that age group that he's he's closer to my age than yours probably, and so he needs to. And I don't blame him at all for going and looking. And if 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 he Michigan gets mad, so be it. But 
Jim Harbaugh's got his life to live, and, and, you know, it looks more fun to me right now in the NFL than it does in college. Gary Barnett, a couple minutes with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach Nebraska able to go to the portal and get Sims from Georgia Tech. Uh, Casey Thompson going to be back. Uh, what what does that do for the quarterback room, having both of those options, in your opinion, for, for a year one with Coach Rule? Well, you, you, you saw this year how important it was to have two quarterbacks. And so you you have to in this day and age you have to have two quarterbacks, and um, it just gives them needed depth. And you just hope Sims is good enough to push Thompson a little bit, but at least come in and and perform at a high level if if injuries occur again. So you, you've got to have depth at the quarterback spot. There's just a couple places where you absolutely have to have depth, and that is place number one, I'd say. What do you think Coach Rule's walking into? And we, we spent some time on it this week where your starting point uh, of a program, year one for you, and Nebraska's been like some other programs that has just had way too much turnover, but there's been some talent in the cupboard, so to speak, and uh, your job's to maximize that talent recruit it. I mean, so far, so good with what he did in the recruiting world. Uh, now you get here, but um, I, I guess the question is: is how far down or uh, how far to go to stabilize Nebraska with with Rule's history and, and also what he's coming into? Well, I, I think uh, first of all, you need to just uh, turn your resources back on, turn them up a little bit higher because you've got resources at Nebraska, and and then you know do what you do. I mean, Matt Matt got there by building two programs up, taking one over at Baylor that was in shambles and then turning Temple around. Uh, he came in after Al Golan, and Al did a good job because that was a total rebuild. And between the two of them, they created, you know, uh, something that hadn't been done. And so I think Matt just needs to do what he does, and I think that uh, he needs to turn the burners on and the resources that Nebraska has. He, he, Nebraska wasn't that far away. Uh, when you look at the number of games, especially over the last two years that they've lost, they're not that far away. They just haven't been over to get, get over, haven't been able to get over the hump. And now that's Matt's job is to get them over that hump. But he's got resources, he's got tradition, he's got all that on the side. He's got fan base, and so you just go. This isn't a rebuild, you know, at all. And and I think he knows that when he went there, or he knew that. So um, I think he does what he does, and he lets the Nebraska resources get turned up a little bit and he'll be just fine. Coach, want to end it with, uh, with Hamlin and, uh, and Buffalo and, and just tap into you with just a difficult situation and how you were able to lead during it. And I look at coach McDermott and coach Zach Taylor, uh, obviously the first responders phenomenal, uh, and just the outpouring incredible, but, uh, coaches had to, to to be leaders in that moment, and, and they were. And and how do you or can you prepare yourself for something uh, that is emotionally and, and and draining and very scary? Well, you can't prepare yourself for it, but what you can do is seize the moment and realize that you are you, you know you lead day in and day out in various other areas, and and you're an example. But this this particular situation it's so high profile and so many people are watching this is your greatest chance to lead 
And I think yeah, if you seize that moment, you realize that, and you take controls and you do what what needs to be done. And whatever that is you feel it needs to be, you do it. And um, you know, it's it is hard. I've I've had three of those, and it's uh, two. One survived, two didn't. And um, it's you know, it's just it's just overwhelming. But you gather yourself. You you make yourself the best you've ever been, mm-hmm. and then do what you can and do what instinctually you know you should do, and 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 that's all you can do. Coach, you said you've had instances you've lost a couple players. Correct? Was it due to injury, yes. or was it was it was it injury related, or was it off field? It was uh, all three of them were well. Two of them were off the field. One mm-hmm. was on the field. So you did, you did yeah, lose so, you did lose a player on the field. Well, we he's the one that survived. Eddie Reinhardt at okay. Oregon survived in 1984, and and our team did not want to play for. I mean, they didn't want to practice for for three weeks. I mean, we were a mess. But um, you know, guys didn't want to play anymore, and so you you have to you know you're the guy in charge. You're the guy that you're their father at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And you've got to do what you, you need to do. The other two was Sal and Essie, of course, died of mm-hmm. stomach cancer. And then I, my first college week of college coaching, I had a player at Fort Lewis um, uh, fall off a cliff on a Sunday. They had the day off, fall off a cliff, diving into the pools up in Durango. And, mm-hmm. and um, he didn't make it. And, I, you know, that was uh, – I mean, we couldn't even find him for a while. So yeah, that's that's tough stuff, and you you can't say, well, I've done this once, I can do it again. Uh, uh-uh. it's a different situation every time. Coach, thanks for your perspective uh, with this situation, and we'll uh, we'll catch up again soon and be a little more cheery. But thank you so much, Coach. Good to spend okay, time Chris. with you. Yeah, good to be with you, man. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity, presented by Currency. We say hi to Mitch Sherman from The Athletic. And find Mitch on Twitter, at Mitch Sherman. Mitch, you got your sleeves rolled up for uh, tomorrow, Satterfield and White uh, at the podium. Good to spend time with you. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Yep, good to be with you on the other side of the holiday season hope uh, it all went well for you and and back to football we get on a friday at memorial stadium with the new coordinators looking forward to it what has this this bowl season shown you and we we hit on it a little bit yesterday but the the, the reaction initially to the to the 335 defense and honestly a lot of a lot of squads run that some variation of it and didn't have Horrible results, and of course, TCU will be front and center uh, with their defense. And I know they're all a little bit different, but pretty good showcase with um, athleticism and, and pressure uh, with uh, these different three-three-five defenses. Right, you saw it at Mississippi State and Syracuse, um, a couple of schools that run variations of the three-three-five that are directly linked to what Tony White does. You know, Mississippi State, of of course, is, it, it comes it comes straight from the um, the Rocky Long school of of, uh, of defense there, and, and Rocky Long was the the mentor for for Tony White 
and has has taken over at, at Syracuse now for Tony. So there's a, there's a lot of connections when it comes to teams that run that defense. TCU has their own version that didn't come out of, of the same um, coaching tree that produced Tony White here in Lincoln. And it was interesting to watch the way that that game unfolded in, in part because it was against a big physical Big Ten team in Michigan. I think there was some some comments made, a little snickering before the game about how that defensive front might stack up against Michigan's physical play. And you looked at it at halftime, and you know, Michigan had squandered some opportunities inside the five-yard line, but six points on the board at halftime was not in any way what, what they were anticipating uh, against that defense or any defense. And, you know, I think some people made some comments, including myself, about how the 3-3-5 was stacking up against Michigan, and they go out and score 39 points in the second half. So, you know, there was some good and some bad. I, w- I will say this in, in my observation at the end of the day when, it, when in, in the Fiesta Bowl and how the 3-3-5 worked against a, a strong Big Ten opponent. I, I think Michigan against TCU – no matter the scheme, no matter the defensive scheme that the Horned Frogs played that day on New Year's Eve, Michigan was going to score some points and put up some yards eventually in that game. Against personnel, Michigan had some advantages. The reason that TCU won, other than, than outscoring Michigan and, and having Max Duggan and, and getting, what, 51 points, um, is that the defense made plays that, that – that kept TCU in the game. I don't know that another defensive scheme that isn't quite as disruptive turns in 11 TFLs. And certainly the two pick sixes were against J.J. McCarthy, and that was not a, a, you know, a, a staple of, of his play during the season. He was very uh, efficient with the football. Um, but to throw two pick sixes, it's tough to win any game. And I think you can look to the defensive scheme that TCU threw out there um, as perhaps confusing Michigan in some ways. So it'll be interesting to see um, how Nebraska moving forward is able to utilize that defensive look, if in fact it's similar to what TCU did, to create the kind of confusion that we saw on New Year's Eve in uh, Phoenix. Mitch, on the flip side of things, the offensive side, it was uh, Coach Chatterfield's offense with South Carolina. I know he wasn't coaching in the ball game, but they were able to put up 38 points against Notre Dame. And if you go look back at Notre Dame season, the only other team to do that was USC. And it should be noted a couple teams got into uh, the 30-point range with that Notre Dame defense. But South Carolina able to put up 38 points in the bowl game. What did you take away from that offensive showing, and, and what do you think it means for Nebraska's offense moving forward? Sure. I mean, South Carolina with Spencer Rattler had an, an explosive Offense and, and I, don't, I don't believe all of those 38 points were put up on the offensive side by South Carolina. There was a was there a long pick six, almost um, hundred yard, yeah, almost hundred yard, yeah. yeah. That's about that's long. That's 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 uh, <laughs> that qualifies as, as long. But yeah, I mean Elijah, the South Carolina offense. It's not not just against Notre Dame and, and a good defense there, but look at what South Carolina did with Satterfield coaching that group to end the season against Tennessee and Clemson. And you saw a team that was as hot offensively as any group in the country. And, you know, I, I haven't sat down to dissect it enough, and, and, and I can't say that I've watched film um, of what South Carolina did offensively against Clemson and Tennessee that allowed them to break out the way that they did. But I do know that that offense that he designed was as hot as any offense in the country in the last two to three games of the year. 
Well, I think the uh, the credit you give to Satterfield from from my eyes watching it was that he did design an offense that fit his players, and whether or not that that can be the same at Nebraska, I guess, remains to be seen. But that, I think that's the credit to him with what he had at South Carolina. There were some sputters early with that offense, but eventually the offense found their footing, and it was an offense that, that fit the strengths of his players. And I, I guess my question to you is when you look at this offense next season, what do you think is going to be a strength? Do you, do you believe what Matt Rule says that, you know what, we believe the offensive line and the rushing attack can be a strength? It's going to have to be for Nebraska to, to, to put out an effective offense. You know, and we don't know the entire personnel lineup at this point. You know, there's more work to be done in the transfer portal uh, between now and, and the summer. So I think you could see Nebraska add another tight end. I think you could see Nebraska add another receiver or two. Um, perhaps they're done at running back with, with A.J. Allen and, and Anthony Grant or, you know, switch that order in, in line to return. Um, you know, along with with some others, uh, Gabe Irvin, uh, Ramir Johnson is is still around. Um, it would look like the Huskers are in pretty good shape at running back. But you know, so much about what Nebraska's offense is going to look like, of course, comes down to the quarterback. And and you know, there's there's uncertainty at that spot right now as as Jeff Sims, Sims comes in this month as a transfer from Georgia Tech, and Casey Thompson works to get himself healthy. I don't, I don't know that we'll have answers to that question after the spring because it's unlikely that Casey Thompson is going to be 100% or anywhere near 100%. I don't think he's going to take hits in the spring. And why would you? You know, if you have a, a six-year guy who is as old and experienced as, as Casey Thompson and he's somebody who's in the running to be your starting quarterback, there's just not a lot of sense if he's coming off of an injury to send him out there and, and – have him take any kind of contact, or in his case, with shoulder surgery, um, really put that put that shoulder under duress with with a lot of throws um, until you absolutely need him to in August. Mitch Sherman's with us here, Hale Varsity Radio. Mitch, you got busy uh, right before the new year with a story and uh, got your crystal ball out here with the rule era and some predictions and uh, thoughts for for the uh, new year in 2023. Focus on a couple of names in your story, Thomas Fedoni and Teddy Prohaska, uh, both guys that have a, a tremendous upside, both guys that have battled injuries. And do you think uh, moving forward, those are two guys that, that can make and do they have to make a, an impact with Nebraska moving forward? Uh, and no fault of their own. They've done a great job of rehabbing. I uh, really haven't had much of a glimpse of Fedoni and uh, a small snippet of Teddy. Yeah, you remember these guys were cornerstones. They were they were arguably the two premier signees in Nebraska's 2021 class. And then with with Thomas, it's been one spring with a knee injury, and then the next spring with another knee injury. And you know, I think the big focus for him is is building um, building strength and building muscle and and working on his flexibility. You know, from the time that he signed with Nebraska and, and, and came on our radar actually even before he signed with Nebraska when he was a big-time recruit out of Council Bluffs. Um, you looked at his body and you looked at the way that he played the game, and you know, like there was always kind of a concern about injury prevention because he's so angular and so long, and you know he's a big target coming across the middle that, that he was opening himself. He was going to be opened up to taking lots of hits, and, and um, he was going to need to do things to, to, to prevent injuries that unfortunately have plagued his career through two years at Nebraska. So the hope is, is that he can avoid anything like that. And I think it starts in, in off the field stuff. It starts in, in the way that he trains and the, and the way that he gets his, his body ready to go. I mean, he's in shape and always has been in shape, but there, 
um, are certainly other things that, that he needs to do to build strength and flexibility that can help him be less likely to, to have another one of those problems. It's the same knee that, that he's messed up both times. So, you know, I think he's kind of at the end, end of the line there. You can't have that happen to the same knee a third time. Or I, I just don't really see how you can go forward. Or there, there's probably not much that, that doctors can do if they have to go in there a third time. So it's now or never um, to some degree. I mean, certainly he could have another kind of injury and come back from it, but that knee is, you know, it needs to stay healthy for Fedoni. And if it does, then, you know, his, his ceiling as a tight end in this offense is higher than any, any other player on the roster um, at, at that position. And for Teddy, um, you know, different injuries in the two years that he's been here. So he's not in the same situation necessarily as Thomas, where it, it's now or never. Um, but, you know, you, you want to see him have success and, and stay on the field in, in this third year in the program. He's so big um, at, at his size as an offensive tackle that, you know, I think there's always going to be a little bit of concern about um, lower body stuff. And I think it was, an, it was, it was there were some upper body injuries that, that happened to him in, in this 2022 season. But for both of those guys, yeah, the focus is, has got to be staying healthy, staying on the field. And if they're in that condition, then, then they're both going to be in position to really help this team next year. Mitch Sherman with us from The Athletic. And Max Duggan, uh, a player you know and have covered, and historian TCU well-documented. Uh, what would it uh, mean and say for TCU to be a, a – uh, able to come out on top of Georgia. I know that line's pretty steep, but overall with, with Duggan, what's he have to do Monday night? He's kind of got to be Superman against that Georgia defense, don't you think? I think I, so. I, I, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and he's been that uh, often this season for TCU. They're, they're you know a running threat, a passing threat. You know, and, and I watched closely TCU's last two games, both the, the Big 12 championship and then, of course, the, the game against Michigan – in the in, on New Year's Eve, and, and he seems to be able to do it all, and th- that's going to have to be the case again. And I, I think this task that he's got in front of him on Monday night against Georgia is is clearly the steepest of those three because of the athletes that Georgia has on the defensive side of the ball. But you know, I, I, Ohio State, I think, put out a blueprint. Um, incredible athletes, and, and if there's any team in the country that has more athletes than Georgia, um, you know, it's, well, it's, it's Alabama or, or it's Ohio State. And Ohio State showed that um, in, in the other semifinal and, and nearly walked away with, with a win uh, against Georgia. But Georgia survives, and I, I think Georgia's got the strongest defense of any of the teams in the CFP field. So the challenge is steep for, for Max, but, you know, he's really overcome all of them that have been placed in front of him, not just this year, but in his career, to have started as a true freshman and to have overcome – a health scare after the the pandemic and, and to have battled back from being benched at the start of this season to finish second in the in the Heisman um, you know it's a great story for for a, a guy from from Council Bluffs Iowa to be doing what he's doing and, and play on the stage so um, looking forward to watching him and the frogs on Monday night Mitch will check in next week thanks for your time at inside as always all right thanks Chris like what you hear high quality radio and podcasts are just part of what we do at Hale varsity. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe. Promo code GBR. 
He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, pre-teen Swedish boy. Back into it at Tail Bar City Radio. Burke's Best Bets. Danny Burke with us. Uh, Beeson Sports Network. Find him on Twitter at Danny Burke 5, the Danny Burke Podcast. And weekend coverage, of course, with Beeson. Danny, uh, a lot of NFL going on and uh, playoff football next weekend. Play in football this weekend. How you doing? I'm doing good, gentlemen. Yeah, it's that uh, bittersweet time of the year. You know, you're excited for the postseason, but you're a little sad because a uh, full slate of NFL games coming down to an end, which for some people might be good in terms of how much you're betting and uh, just needing a break. But no, nah, man, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's a unique week. It's one that you really got to do your due diligence on for research and almost got to play the part of a uh, psychiatrist sometimes mm-hmm. trying to get to the mind of these teams, coaches, players, and what the incentive is for a lot of them. Well, Jacksonville's stormed out of nowhere. They've been consistent. Trevor Lawrence really coming into his own and uh, a chance for Jayville to uh, to keep on playing. They are minus six and a half right now. Tennessee's a, a, a bit of a shell of themselves. Yeah, look, I get that Vrabel arguably, and again, I'm not saying I necessarily am on this side, but he's arguably the better coach in this situation against Doug Peterson. What's it come down to, though? I'd say it comes down to momentum and quarterback play, and obviously Joshua Dobbs versus Trevor Lawrence. I think we all know who gets to not. And, yeah, Vrabel can put together a good game plan against a familiar team, but at the end of the day, like Jacksonville against the run has been a strong unit. They're allowing, I think, top five in terms of fewest yards per carry in terms of the entire season, and the last three games, that number – has shrunk to under four yards per carry. So cool. You have one main focus offensively. You can contain that and limit it as much as possible if you're Jacksonville. Force Joshua Dobbs in the biggest game of his life to make the big plays in a do-or-die game. I'm going to take my chances with the Jaguars. However, considering it is a division game and, you know, Vrabel still can't coach a hell of a team when there's not that much to work with, I just teased down Jacksonville to a pick So I took him from six to a pick. Obviously, at six in the hook, I'd still take them down because it's them winning the game just minus the half. So I think that personally, from my standpoint, is the best route to take instead of sweating out Jacksonville to win by a touchdown against a familiar division opponent. Denny Burke is with us here. It's Burke's Best Bets on Hale Varsity Radio. And Denny, a quick one to follow up on that game is Christian Kirk. Player incentive on the line. He's got two of them, actually. He needs two catches for a $500,000 bonus. And he needs 91 yards for a $500,000 bonus. His over is set, I believe, at somewhere around 50-something yards. Is that something you look the over on? Or, or considering there's a lot on the line in this game, do you say, you know what, I'm going to stay away from that because the Jaguars aren't going to be trying to feed him? Yeah, I, you know, you're just kind of looking at these incentives, and obviously this is something that's baked into the number a lot of times by these sports books. If you know it, they know it, too. And a lot of people are just going to quickly jump to automatically automatically play the over. And, and look, while he may be get, getting targeted more because of that, like you said, Elijah, I mean, this game is different. This is virtually a playoff game for these teams. So the game plan isn't going to circle around getting some guys or extra catches. I know Zay Jones has some incentives as well as Christian Kirk. So, yeah, while you maybe want to think that they'd be targeted more because of that, realistically, their goal here is to win the game. It advance into the postseason. So those guys in particular, 
and in other games where they're still on the line for seeding for playoffs, I'm not too enticed to look at their player props for their incentives because, again, the biggest incentive is winning the game and doing it at whatever cost, even if it's not getting that person the ball. So uh, it's a good angle to look at for certain spots, just not in this particular one. Danny, let's go to the Sunday night matchup, Lions at Green Bay. Uh, Packers minus four and a half at home. Detroit has been fascinating with just what they've done offensively. They've put up a lot of points so many weeks. Green Bay, though, feeling all right. They're still alive. I know this hinges on Seattle. But do you have a a thought with uh, this Green Bay uh, Lions showdown? Yeah, so this one comes down to what happens with Seattle and the Rams because if the Seahawks win, then the Lions are eliminated from postseason contention. And with the assumption that they do win, well, where is this line going to move knowing that the Lions can't make the postseason? So it's at about four in the hook right now. I was talking to some guys out in Vegas, and they would say maybe at the most it would reach six in the hook. I think that's probably where it will go. But, again, they may know a little bit more than I do. Um, And you may think to steer away from – the Lions at that point, but let's be honest, Dan Campbell is a very passionate guy, a dude that's going to have his players motivated regardless, because if that comes to fruition, no, the Lions don't have a chance to make the postseason, but they have a chance to be spoilers and cap their heroic comeback season off in a great way and keep that momentum going into next year. So I would be tempted to actually take the points with Detroit at that, at that point if it reaches it. But right now, there's nothing worth playing. Now, the other side to the coin is, well, you can tease down Green Bay because it's a must-win, and it's an indoor team, Jared Goff, in a cold-weather situation at night on primetime. I get all that. I think that's a viable play, too. We just won't know until we see the outcome of Seattle. So that's going to be a wait-and-see approach in that game. But, yeah, Green Bay probably gets the job done. And then comes the narrative of, oh, Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. You know, here they are sneaking in. (laughs) Maybe it's better for them that they didn't have that great of a season. Not as much pressure on their shoulders, but there's still a lot of flaws with this team, even though they are looking a lot better these last few weeks. So I wouldn't go too crazy, but, hey, at the same time, the benefit from them is you get an open NFC. So who knows? Anything truly can happen throughout that conference. It's Burke's Best Bets here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, Danny, going to a game that's earlier in the day, the Giants and the Eagles. This is a line that surprised me. The Eagles are favored by 14 points. Can you tell me what's going on there with that line? Well, so the Giants have nothing to play for here. I mean, they're already locked up into the sixth seed, I believe. So there's no incentive for any of their starters to play in this game. They just want to stay healthy, and they just want to get into the postseason and be prepared for that. As for the Eagles, they need to win this game to still wrap up the division against the Cowboys, to still wrap up the number one seed. Not sure who's going to be starting between Hurts and Menchu, but again, it, it, it's not going to matter against this Giants team that doesn't give a crap at this spot. But in terms of the spread, that doesn't mean that you automatically lay it with the Eagles because, look, I mean, some of these guys are still vying for playing opportunities, for contracts, for pride, whatever you want to call it. And four teams a lot, especially if it's not Hurts in the mix. And once they realize they have a comfortable lead, maybe they take some of their guys out. The backdoor cover at such an enormous spread is out there for the taking. So I wouldn't touch anything in this game. If you want to look at a spot like, say, this game, like, say, the Bucks who are playing their starters, um, say the San Francisco 49ers, where there are bigger spreads. I know the Bucks don't qualify, but in the situation of these guys playing their starters and then wanting to rest them, look at some first-half angles. That may be your approach to take with the Eagles if you want to do that instead of laying the full game at 14. Look at something in the first half where they definitely want to play hard and establish a big lead, and then in the second half they may take their foot off the pedal. 
Danny, last thought here, about 30 seconds. Let's go to a, a noon game on Sunday, the Jets and the Dolphins, where the Dolphins are a two-point favorite. What do you like here? <laughs> I like absolutely nothing here, Elijah. <laughs> I don't know what to make of the quarterback situation, the total. I mean, the Dolphins need to win to get in, but the Dolphins are in a nightmare scenario with their quarterback. So I, I'll tell you another thing, then, because I don't want to end on that necessarily. I told you about the teaser with Jacksonville. I did tease down the Vikings, too. The Bears are giving up. They need to try to get a top draft pick. Peterson's in the mix. The Vikings needed to get a better seed than the 49ers, potentially, and they got to get that stink off of that embarrassing loss against the Packers last week. So look to tease down the Vikings. If you don't like the Jacksonville tease, seriously consider Minnesota because it would be ridiculous for them not to be able to win that game against the Bears by three or more. Danny Burke with Vizen Sports Network at Danny Burke 5 on Twitter. Danny, we'll talk next week. Thanks for the time. Absolutely, fellas. Always appreciate it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time. Good stuff today on a Thursday. Big thanks to Brandon Vogel and Mitch Sherman, Coach Gary Barnett. You just heard Danny Burke with Vison Sports Network. Get the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Full show available for you. Also, individualized segments uh, when you go to Spotify, iTunes, Google Play with Hale Varsity. Give us uh, some feedback, good, bad, or ugly. Love the... Uh, the reaction from you, what you think of the show and the podcast. You can always find it also on the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. And uh, we love uh, streaming the show live with uh, StreamYard 2 on Hale Varsity Radio's Twitter handle, at HVarsity Radio. Be sure to check uh, Coffee and Cream out tomorrow morning. We have the breakfast thing rocking up at the Hale Varsity Club uh, a couple of times a month on Fridays, which is awesome, yeah, which so is outstanding. Go, go get yourself a ticket. Yeah. Hill Varsity Club and go watch uh, Coffee and Cream. And I, I like their, uh, their little advertisement they had a little earlier in the show. We'll see how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's very real because, like, uh, for me getting into radio, being somebody who grew up listening to not only you, but used to love Mike and that Mike is, in the morning back that in the is day. so nice of Elijah saying, Schmidt, you are an old bastard. Well, no, every single day on my ride home from elementary school, <laughs> there's Chris Schmidt on the radio. <laughs> Between you going to, to elementary school and me student teaching Will Wilson with morning hookup. You just feel older and older every single year doing radio. I feel more distinguished. It's fair. It's so fair. You, you've been around for forever, as long I as I can I, remember, I, essentially. I don't care. I don't care um, with the uh, the age part of it but yeah it's fun it's it, it, like getting into it it's very much like a, oh this is radio it's it's very different seeing how it's actually done as opposed to what you hear on Schmidt, the radio this big dumb animal can do it maybe i can get into it <laughs> um no comment on that no comment on that but go check it out at the hill varsity club get yourself some awesome breakfast while you're at it maybe some coffee with some cream i'm more of a black mm. coffee guy myself uh but Coffee and Cream is uh, the, the name of the game tomorrow morning, so go check them out. Yeah, uh, com backslash offer. Uh, check that out as well to subscribe to Hail Varsity Magazine. 
And, uh, of course, the digital content that's great. Tomorrow, Jacob Padilla get a set for Nebraska uh, basketball and the weekend of prep action. Brady Holtman's from Hale Varsity. Also, the recruiting weekend, we laid out a number of the uh, – the portal visitors and a uh, chance at a, a Baylor and Stanford get, I think, I'm, I'm fairly certain here that Rouse, the uh, left tackle for Stanford, uh, Nebraska is his last uh, rodeo, as in this is the last visit for him before he decides that is uh, potentially big. So uh, Nebraska could use a guy that's played four years at Stanford. And I saw a, uh, a thing on Twitter that was power ranking visits. And it was number one, last visit, number two, first visit, um, number three, visit with family, uh, the number four was uh, any other visit. Yeah. So last visit, big deal. I think warm weather visit in cold, <laughs> uh, in, in, uh, in, in winter months also uh, rates very high. That's how uh, old Kiffin down at Ole Miss does it. Oh, sure. Old Lane Train does a, a wonderful job of, of being Lane. Well, it's funny because like the the kids down there are wearing like winter coats and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But you walk like as me as a Nebraskan go down there in February, and I'm like, oh, it's mid fifties. This is beautiful. It's outstanding. All the other kids down there are freezing. <laughs> we uh, have an APB out for Bill Dolman. Pride of Fairbury supposed to be with us tomorrow. Uh, so uh, that is on the schedule. Uh, enjoy your Thursday. Uh, thanks for tuning in with Hale Varsity, presented by Currency. Have a great night. A Huda Media Production.